The Athletic. Totally football show. Today, Friday it begins. The slow attritional demise of your cherished dreams for the season. Today, then, we savour these final poignant hours when anything is still possible. New strikers. Can any of them do a Ravinelli first-day hat-trick debut? Established players. Why them switching clubs gives us more New Jersey headaches than Tony Soprano with Richie Freely. And loads of other questions as well, including does Forrest's Jizz Camp interest mean he can't do the goal show anymore? All that and more in this Totally Football Show. And hello, listener. Thank you for being with us on this most auspicious of days. Thursday, 4th of August. I'm excited. You're excited. Tom Williams is excited. Hey, Tom. Oh, yes. Hello, James. Yes. Adrian Clark's with us as well. All right, Adrian. All right. Yeah, absolutely buzzing. Brilliant. Brilliant. And Laurie Whitwell's here too. Uh, Laurie, fresh back from down under. Hi, James. How do the eye bags look? Yeah, no, they look great. They look great. Listener, they look great, Brad. Narrator's <laughs> voice. Laurie's eye bags looked great. For the purposes uh, you... of the tape, Laurie doesn't look too tight. <laughs> Laurie, you've you got a big, a, 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 a unnaturally big grin right now, and I know that's because it's the, uh, the opening weekend of the season. It's an exciting time. Producer Charlie is an Arsenal fan, says it means the day the Gunners get knocked off the top of the table. Although, of course, AFC Bournemouth in many places, are currently occupying top spot. It is early to look at the league table, though. Um, Laurie, what are you most looking forward to from the next few days? Just football being back. Is that so? Is that is it naff? Um, I think probably from a Manchester United perspective, that's the club that I cover, you know, a bit more of reality as well. You know, I was away in uh, Asia and Australia and it was all nice and blissful. And now here we are in the meaty end and the Premier League defeats are incoming, I think. Oh, yeah? Mm. All right. And Brighton, the opponents at Old Trafford uh, for this weekend's season opener for Man United. And reality already poking its nose around the door with, of course, all that Ten Hag. Ronaldo leaving early is unacceptable business. But we'll get on to that later on. Tom, much for you to discuss because you're off to Paris this weekend as another season of French coverage of the Premier League gets underway. We'll be asking you what they're most interested in later on. I want to ask Adrian as well, if you're going along to Friday's opener, at Selhurst Park, Adrian? Uh, no, I'm working from Emirates Studio, actually. Oh. So, yeah, I'm not going to be there, which is kind of frustrating. But um, I'm expecting a, a full throttle Are opening you? night. I, th- I think there'll be, yeah, there should be goals. I think plenty of excitement. Hopefully, um, Arsenal can actually show up this time. They were mm. battered at Selhurst Park back in April. So they owe Patrick one. They really do. Yeah, Patrick Vieira has had one over them last season. So it's time has- for revenge. As, as an Arsenal insider, can you reveal, has uh, Mikel Arteta been playing glad all over to the boys in <laughs> <and> training <laughs> to acclimatise uh, I think it's only right. I, look, I shouldn't say this, but I'm not sure not that sure. I'm having that. No, right. I'm not sure about the whole blaring the music out over the speakers. I think if I was a player, I would have been taking the piss out of that behind the manager's back a little bit, I think. Mm. Um, but it's nice to try new things, but I'm not sure it would have made the slightest bit of difference. I mean, it's the sort of thing, if, if it had worked, it would have looked great. 
because then mm. you get the story, and this is you know this is where it began. Right. Arteta and his team looked at looked at how Arsenal had struggled at Anfield. You know what was it? What were the things that had sort of unsettled the players? And they realised that it was you know listening to "You'll Never Walk Alone" and all the rest of it. <laughs> but to, to to have that scene followed by an emphatic four 0 defeat is um, great. TV yeah, is not is not is not a great look. But I mean, I I went to the I went to the the premiere of the. The, the the Arsenal documentary that this scene appears in. And I felt a little bit of sympathy for Arteta in that you see quite a lot of his team talks and it must be difficult to find ways to, to motivate footballers every three or four days, you know, new messages. And, you know, I, I'm sure there must be an awful lot of managers who lapse into cliche and who lapse into corniness. Um, but there were a few moments where you thought... If you take away sort of the swelling strings of the soundtrack as Arteta speaks and the very artfully chosen shots of the players all looking, you know, attentive and, and sort of engaged, this is a little bit sort of Spanish Brendan Rodgers. It's the sort of thing that Brendan Rodgers would be absolutely hammered for. Um, but at the same time, I mean, you know, if you've, if you've got to come up with inventive ways of, of you know, geeing your players up every three mm. or four days, I'm not surprised that you end up coming up with stuff that, that, that just seems pure David Brent every now and again. So Amazon have done all or nothing on Arsenal. We can get into it in more detail later on, but very briefly, worth watching, not worth watching? On a scale of Sunderland till I die to uh, the pog- pogumentary, where would you put yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. If if you're an Arsenal fan, I mean, very yeah. much up towards the Sunderland till I die oh. end, if you're not an Arsenal fan... Um, I mean, if you you know, if you're maybe a rubbernecking Tottenham fan who, who, who wants to relive <laughs> Arsenal's failure to finish in the top four last season, possibly even higher. Um, but if you fall into neither of those camps, maybe maybe further towards the bottom of the scale. Okay. Well, if you are an Arsenal fan, you'll know that uh, Palace is the opening fixture for the Gunners on Friday. That's followed in the Premier League by Saturday's six games: Fulham against Liverpool. Welcome back. Bournemouth, meantime, entertain Aston Villa. Newcastle are up against Nottingham Forest. Spurs have Southampton. Tip to go down in the Athletics' big Premier League preview, which is out on Thursday. Leeds are up against Wolves and Everton host Chelsea. Interesting one, that. Frank Lampard, etc. Sunday, Leicester-Brentford. Manchester United Football Club against Brighton and Hove Albion. And West Ham-Manchester City. Wow. Of course, we're going to pick out some of the juiciest Footballing prospects from that list. But opening weekend is the most exciting weekend of the season. And in honour of that, producer Charlie has done a montage of his favourite opening weekend memories. He needs to buy players. You can't win anything with kids. Cork waiting on the edge of the six-yard area. Here's Anderton with the cross. Klinsmann's free! And he's marked his debut with a goal! Ravanelli, Ravanelli, yes! It's a hat-trick. Gary Taylor-Fletcher celebrates. It's 4-0 to Blackpool. Chambers, he's doing just that. Sadio Mane wanting a goal for himself. And what a glorious goal he's got. And Beckham saw Sullivan off his line. Oh, that is absolutely phenomenal. All right, was your favourite in there, Laurie? 
Um, I'm going to say the uh, 3-1 uh, Aston Villa, the you don't win anything with kids from Alan right. Hansen, just because it sticks in my mind. Um, I was obviously a young kid at the time. The grey kits, uh, the fact that United got trounced, Beckham scored a sort of speculative goal at the end, though, to give us a little bit of hope and a little bit of encouragement for the season. Mm. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, the, the lull before the rise, I suppose. Indeed. Adrian, what are your opening day memories? I remember the actually it's the anniversary, isn't it? It's the thirtieth season of the Premier League, and I was I think there. It's the thirty-first, actually. Wow. Okay. So yeah. yeah. But no, I know. But 30, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> going to call it a number. Anyway. Call it the right one. I mean, just anyway. Um, I was there on the first weekend, the opening day of the Premier League. Full stop. I'm that old, and asked to entertain Norwich, and it was a classic uh, because. Ahead of kickoff, lots of razzmatazz around the Premier League. Parachutes, parachutists landed on the centre circle, or they're supposed to land on the centre circle, and one of them uh, crashed into the mural <laughs> behind the goal because Arsenal were building a new stand in the North Bank. They had a basically a, a giant piece of cardboard behind the goal, and, and one of the parachutists <laughs> crashed into that. So that was a good start. And then uh, Arsenal went 2-0 up and, and ended up losing 4-2. To Norwich City, which was uh, which was crazy, very very memorable. I was roasting hot in my I don't know what, how to describe it. Fur, used to have big furry sort of blazers back in those days, very sort of oversized jackets, and yeah, that was furry even in blazer. August, what, what what an image. <laughs> Yeah, awful. Yeah, we had to be smart. You see, you had to, you had to be, you had to be smart. I'm sure, I'm sure I would have got taken it off, but I just remember being roasting. Interesting. Wow, living piece of history, Adrian Clark. For you there, <laughs> can you trust opening day results in the same way that you can't trust pre-season results? No, I don't think so. No, I think no? I think the I think there's a higher probability of a freak result on the opening day of the season than 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 at any other stage in the campaign. Definitely because because various teams often aren't ready are they I mean look at Everton we'll talk to them in a, uh, shortly they don't look ready they haven't got a striker which is just is bizarre got a striker. Um, but but you yeah you, you always get teams that are a little bit undercooked you never quite know where you are because you're doing your thing you're getting fit in your own environment you never quite you can't gauge how you are compared to everybody else and and sometimes it, it, it can go horribly wrong in a, in a surprise way so yeah I think there'll be a few shocks this weekend interesting Tom we heard Ravanelli's hat-trick in there. They're the first and still to this day the only player to score a hat-trick on his Premier League debut. Borough drawing 3-3 with Liverpool in 1996. Will somebody do a Ravanelli this time? And might it be at the London Stadium where Erling Haaland makes his league debut, especially given his habit of doing hat-tricks on debuts elsewhere? In his Bundesliga debut, three goals. His Champions League debut, three goals. Yeah, I mean, I, as a as a football fan who who came of age in the in the mid late nineties, all of those clips sort of produced a, a Proustian rush for me. And I remember the the Ravenelli <laughs> one, the the white feather in those heady days at the old. He was twenty eight then. I looked. I looked. He was twenty eight. <laughs> Did you remember exactly how he did the celebration as well? Because I knew he got his chest up, but I'd sort of forgotten that he just put the shirt, oh, the shirt over his head. Shirt over the head. Mm. Classic. Kind of, but, oh, the, num- yeah. the number of like lads in the playground at my school who were like running into goalposts, <laughs> running into each other uh, while ce- <laughs> celebrating goals at lunchtime in the, in, in the weeks that followed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, there is, there is, I was going to say there's hat-trick potential in that West Ham Man City game. I mean, there is hat-trick potential in every football match that is ever played, of course. But I guess, yeah, when you've got a big name centre-forward on both teams, that feels like a proper 
opening day fixture, doesn't it? Um, mm. As Holland, as Holland, I'm trying to think what shirt numbers they've got. As Holland got, the, did he get the nine from Jesus and Skamaka? I think has got the seven. So again, like they've got proper shirt numbers as well. And yeah, I mean, I, th- I think without without kind of overemphasizing this, I think incorporating uh, Erling Haaland into their starting eleven is is going to be a, a challenge for City, and and perhaps a bigger challenge than than people necessarily realise. Um, and I, you know, I've said this before, and you go back to last summer and, and Chelsea signing Lukaku, who we all thought was going to be the missing piece of the of the, of the jigsaw. When a team has learned to play without a centre forward as successfully as City have and as successfully as Chelsea have done the season before, when you then add a centre forward to that mix, it's not just an addition, it's also a subtraction. And we saw that in the Community Shield, the number of times that Holland seeing his teammates in advanced positions just starts bolting it down the pitch towards the opposition goal and not getting the ball. Mm. And as good as he is, as good as City's attacking players are, I'm, I'm sure they will figure it out. But it's... There are no guarantees that he's he's going to hit the ground running. And when you kind of look at the balance of power between City and Liverpool and having to adapt to the new signings they've each made, I think it would be easier for Liverpool to incorporate the, the players they've signed because they're basically slotting into the same system and being asked to do similar things. Whereas City playing with an out-and-out centre-forward particularly with that kind of profile, is 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 a novelty. So it, mm. it might it might take him time to find his feet. He might score a hat-trick at, at London Stadium. Who knows? He might well do. He might well do. Adrian, you mentioned upsets. The City lost their opening fixture last season. That was the same time slot, Sunday 4.30, away at Spurs. And they didn't have much luck at the London Stadium either. Uh, they didn't win either of their visits there last season in the League Cup and the Premier League. Who's, who's ready to tip a grand start for the Hammers then? I'm not. Uh, no. There's this sort of, I think there's a misconception that, that West Ham are a bit of a bogey team for Man City. Um, City are 13 unbeaten against West Ham. So so I don't think that, you know, Moyes hasn't really, Moyes always seems to run them closer than a lot of other teams. Um, but but I think, I still think City's class. And I, I do agree with Tom on, on the adaptation period, but... This guy can score all types of goals and providing they get in and around the penalty box and, and put the ball in there, I think they, that he's going to score a, a hatful of goals. Watch out for Jack Grealish, by the way, on this uh, in this match. He scored, it, talk about lucky grounds, he scored on his last three visits to London Stadium and all three were really good goals. He scored in that 2-2 draw at the end of last season and he got two during the pandemic for Villa as well um good solo goals so he loves it there they, they and, all meant something uh, as well think, didn't they adrian i think those yeah, goals yeah Keep they did Miller up, and, and give to take the title exactly and i think he might be the player that benefits from erling Haaland's arrival because i think he's he's a, he's a kind of guy that might tee him up in the way that that Haaland wants so yeah watch this space i think yeah Haaland can make Grealish better hmm so far, a lot of question marks over how the integration is going to work, but there could be an emphatic response to that come Sunday afternoon from Pep and the boys. Meanwhile, Yin to Man City's title rivalry Yang are Liverpool, who are at Fulham, who last time they were up took four points off the Reds. That was the 2020-21 season, which ended with the Cottages going down. They're back now. They've got Marco Silva in charge. His fourth different Premier League outfit. How have the other ones worked out? Checks notes. Hmm. His last Premier League game, actually, curious enough, was against Liverpool. Uh, that was in charge of Everton. It, it finished 5-2 at Anfield in, in, in the derby. He lost his job subsequently. Uh, other Fulham thoughts? It could be a busy afternoon for their new keeper, Bunt Leno, if he gets the nod. 
Yeah, I mean, Fulham are, they, they are the proverbial yo-yo team, aren't they? And, um, you know, we've, we've been here before uh, twice in the, last, uh, in the last few years, you know, going up uh, in, in convincing fashion um, and then going down in, in equally convincing uh, fashion. Uh, and, yeah, I get the question, as ever with Fulham, is can they translate what they did in the Championship last season to, to, to the Premier League, which is what's proved beyond them in... In, uh, in previous seasons. I mean, there's been a, a, a less conspicuous transfer splurge than the last couple of times they came up. Some interesting signings. You mentioned Bernd Leno, who, you know, is, is an excellent goalkeeper. João Palinha, um, Portuguese international holding midfield. It feels like quite a sort of a canny buy and the, the sort of player you, you need if you're going to hit the ground running. Um, and as ever, Alexander Mitrovic, is he going to score goals in the Premier League? And he does feel like one of those players whose level is somewhere between the Championship and the Premier League. And he, I mean, he, he, you know, the amount of goals he scored last season was absurd. 43. You know, he blew the Championship to smithereens. But as yet, despite him having a profile that you would think would make him suited to, to, to Premier League football. Okay, he's mm. not particularly quick, but he's got, the, he's got the physicality. He's very good in the air. You know, he's, he's strong with his back to goal. It hasn't yet translated into you know in, into Premier League goals, and you know, I th- and that that will inevitably be a factor. I think if if Fulham can find a way of of you know of, of putting him in positions and and he can he can get some decent numbers on the board, then then you know that would be a significant step in you know a significant step towards securing safety. Adrian, why is it that Mitrovic hasn't had the same kind of returns in in the Premier League? Do you think that there is a Premier League striker there? <laughs> I do, yeah, I do, but it is hard. When I look at him, I think he's got the tools to hurt Premier League teams because they're not accustomed to facing strikers of his ilk. Big guys, people that can really knock centre-halves around. When a cross comes into the box, they can just overpower them and head it into the goal and knock the defender flat flat on his face at the same time, you you would think he would be a Premier League defender's nightmare because they're not accustomed to that as much as they used to be. But yeah, I, I think it's the sharpness. I think it's the speed of Premier League players that's the issue. He's a big unit and he's not that quick. He's not that mobile. He hasn't got twinkle toes. He can't accelerate past a defender in the Premier League like he can in the Championship. And I think that's the, that's the key difference. So I think they're going to have to provide him with really good service for him to, to to score plenty of goals this season. You know, chances where they're on a plate for him. I think he just lacks that acceleration. It's just a one or two yards of pace, which makes the difference between being a revelation in the championship and being okay in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. All right. You mentioned Everton. Chelsea, a fixture heavy with question marks. So uh, let's get on to that next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Premier League players are not going to be doing the pre-match anti-racism taking the knee gesture. I read 
this season. The Premier League captains took the decision after consulting with players. Instead, they will perform it before certain rounds of games, including the Boxing Day fixtures. First one's back after the World Cup, that. And Cup Finals. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it It seems unfortunate in a way, In the, and at the risk of being looking at it in a simplistic way, the taking the knee is a protest against racial injustice. Hmm. So why would you stop protesting against that while racial injustice still exists? I mean, and, you know, taking the knee is not going to bring racial injustice to an end. But, I, you know, this idea that people have kind of had enough of it, that it's kind of served its purpose. The kind of point is, is to kind of shove it down people's throats because hmm. this, is, this is what it feels like to live with racial injustice. And, you know... It, almost to the extent that, well, surely they should just be doing it more. Do it for longer. I think the power of having that image before every single Premier League game, every person around the world who watches a Premier League match watches the taking of the knee and has to think about what that means and why the players are doing it. And that is, you know, that is that is a powerful thing. At the same time, it's up to the players. It's not up to the rest of us to decide. If that's how they feel is the best way of doing it, then, you know, then, then fair play. And the fact they're going to be doing it this weekend and before all those key fixtures mean it, it will still be, you know, it, it will still be part of the season. Um, and yeah, you know, you, you hope that that even with the players doing it less frequently, the message will, will still get will still get through. Indeed. Yeah, there could be an argument that it, that it becomes more powerful when used sparingly, I think, um, when there are a lot of eyes on certain matches. You know, the, the strategic dates in the diary where they're going to be used, um, you know, they're the, all I'm, big, I'm with big Tom, moments though. in the campaign. I'm, no, I'm I, I, I agree. I agree and, but it's down to the players, though. It's, that, it's, it's them that are making the gesture. Hmm. And they've. I'm assuming they've had votes among the clubs you know hands up who who wants to carry on who who doesn't yeah i think you have to respect the democracy among the players i don't For think sure. it, this doesn't mean that the players don't care about racial inequality i think it's about the you know the use of that message and whether it, it maybe is better served used more sparingly but but i can see the argument for tom as well you know it also depends if you if you replace that weekly uh, gesture with with something else but Whilst I totally respect their decision, as, as Tom says, having started the gesture, the act of stopping it without any significant change to the conditions that a lot of people uh, are living with is in itself a gesture. Uh, unfortunately, will be taken as such perhaps by some. Anyway, there you go. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's nice that they've been doing it and it's been great that the Premier League has, has been promoting that and it, it has done a lot for the message. Uh, clearly, a long way to go. Everton taking on Chelsea at 5.30 on Saturday. I mentioned question marks over this, not least who will play up front for the Toffees, who literally don't have a striker available. Solomon Rondon is suspended. Uh, oh, look, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's picked up an injury. Um, crikey, Laurie. Yeah, I mean, what, what has happened to Dominic Calvert-Lewin? Because, I mean, a couple of seasons ago, you know, he was England sort of in the, in the squad, in the team, scoring goals. Uh, you know, other clubs were looking at him, 70 million. And last season just sort of, Shifted away, didn't it? And then this one looks like it's starting the same way. Um, selling Richarlison, though, okay, a lot of money that they got for him from Tottenham, but without having a replacement ready is kind of mad business. I mean, I know Everton aren't exactly the smoothest of sellers or buyers um, in recent years, so maybe it just follows along that theme. But um, yeah, and then Solomon Rondon, your one guy that you can go, okay, we'll just stick him up front. Um, he's suspended. Brilliant. Um, I mean, I don't know who who actually are they going to start up front. Um, 
I bet they never thought they'd regret uh, letting Cheng Tushin leave because he's gone to Besiktas this <laughs> summer. But he might, he might have actually got a game for once if he'd Cheng stuck around. That's a, that's a blast from the past. Blimey. Yeah, I, I can only think of Deli Ali really being as a, like a false nine. That's, that's crazy, that's, isn't it? Yeah. Because even yeah. he wasn't I mean, like in the team at the end of the season, really, was he? He was like, you know, no. in and out. And I mean, Frank Lampard, oh. obviously, the, the end of that, last season was all about emotion wasn't it It was all about getting Goodison up and at him and maybe they just have a guy up front that can kick a few players and that'll be enough to kind of get a draw and maybe a dodgy penalty if Anthony Gordon goes down and then they um you know they can they can squeak a 1-0 win but I mean it, it looks pretty desperate for Everton doesn't it I mean and it looked pretty desperate at the end of last season you're sort of thinking they need they need signings and it's not really happened has it I mean, in terms of the opening day fixtures, the good news for the Toffees is they have the best ongoing run in the top flight, unbeaten on the opening day for the last 10 campaigns. Chelsea, meanwhile, have lost each of their last four visits to Goodison Park, a fixture, of course, of huge significance for Frank Lampard as he faces the man who replaced him on the Chelsea bench, uh, Thomas Tuchel. I mean, it's an interesting one, I think, for, for Lampard and for Everton, because as, as Laurie says... They stayed up last season by going back to basics. I think when Lampard came in, he he had ideas about the kind of football he might want to play, and, and realized quite quickly that that you know that there wasn't time to, to to put anything more sophisticated into place, and so they basically just went for it and turned Goodison Park into a into a, a cauldron in, in tried and tested relegation <laughs> battle cliche. And you go back to that the, the game against Chelsea uh, in May, um, which they won. Uh, winner from Richarlison, who then lobbed the flare into the into the stand, which earned him the suspension, which rules him out of um, of Tottenham's game against Southampton. But that was the kind of archetypal Everton performance of the back end of last season. The fans out in the street around the stadium with the blue flares, setting fireworks off outside the Chelsea team hotel the night before, and and, and Everton just really flying out of the traps, really getting stuck into Chelsea. Jordan Pickford pulling off miracles in the in in, in the Everton goal, and it, it proved enough to to get them a win that, that ended up being a really important component in in you know what was ultimately a successful fight to avoid relegation. You can't approach an entire season playing football like that. Um, I mean, I'd love it if they did. It would be, it would be great to see, but I mean, it, it's it's not sustainable. And and the challenge, therefore, facing Frank Lampard is is to is to really put his mark on this team, find a way of playing. And it's unfortunate that he is going to be without Calvert Lewin for this opening fixture. Um, and you know, I, I don't suspect anyone's going to judge Everton too harshly by what they do against Chelsea. But I think for you know, for him, for the club, and also for sort of his own sort of you know managerial development, one of the accusations that was that was levelled against him when he was at Chelsea was that he talked a good game, and and we didn't ever really see that on the pitch. And that's the big challenge facing Lampard this season is he 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 found a way to 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 get them out of out of the out of the bottom three last season. He he got the fans on side. You know, where does he take them now? Having lost his best player in, in Richarlison, and and having lost some of that momentum from the end of last season. I think the biggest challenge facing Frank Lampard right now is convincing Everton's players that this is not going to be another relegation struggle because we can see it. We can see they're not ready. We we can see they've got no striker. So can the players. Don't you want the players to think they're in a relegation struggle? No, you want to fill them with confidence, I think, ahead of the kickoff. Mm. You want to... You, it's It's... Okay, maybe I, I should rephrase that. The biggest challenge Frank Lampard faces is to fill the players with self-belief and confidence that they won't be in a relegation battle this season. Because if I was in that dressing room, in that squad, mm. preparing to place Chelsea, I would be a little bit nervous about it and thinking, oh, how's this going to go? I saw them in pre-season in America. I mean, they were awful, absolutely dire. 
had five at the back. They couldn't play out from the back. They, you know, all they really had was a long ball to release, you know, the wingers every now and again. They've gone backwards as far as I, I can see. Um, let's see how they fare this weekend. But I fear that Everton are, are going to have a really testing start to the season. Right. There's some challenges ahead for Chelsea, of course. Not least, getting used to the sight of uh, Raheem Sterling in a Chelsea shirt. I mean, at least it's more or less the same colour. <laughs> Gabriel Jesus at Arsenal, maybe. I, I'm I'm a little bit more... I don't know. Is that going to be one of those ones that just never, never quite gets you know assimilated by by your brain Laurie what what do you think yeah is it not that he's kind of doing the Italian thing and just sort of ticking off all the big clubs in England you know like how (laughs) yeah like how you know Christian Vieri would do I suppose back in the day you know he's so he's I mean where where, he could he could go to Tottenham after this you know you could sort of see him there maybe you know on on the way down in his career maybe you know you never know I mean a lot of people have Tottenham actually finishing above Chelsea this season but in terms of players who who you never get used to them being in a different jersey. You you so associate them with one club. I, I mean, for me, Gabriel Jesus is right up there with with, with this Arsenal move. Mm. James Ward Prowse was the one I, that came to my mind. I don't know if you if, if we're allowed to sort of speculate if he ever did move. Uh, oh yeah, you know, he, he hasn't moved. So, but I'm, in my mind, him going somewhere else. And I know he's he's linked with other clubs, isn't he? Aston Villa, and I'm sure that he would want to kind of try himself in a in a club that had European aspirations more regularly. But um, yeah, he is for me just Mr. Southampton. He's their guy. So him yeah. in another shirt would be really weird. Imagine him in a Portsmouth shirt. I mean, seeing as we're just kind of just plucking things out, imagine James Ward Prowse in a Portsmouth shirt. Right. How weird that would look. Right. How weird that would look. Is there a picture of him on in that, a Portsmouth shirt? Is that what you're getting? I'm, at? I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure someone will Photoshop one for him. On, on a similar vibe, James, um, yeah. seeing Ian Wright in a West Ham shirt just never sat right. I mean, just Google it. Just Google it. You think, hey, that didn't happen. That couldn't have happened. But it actually did. He's, he's got the you know, Dr. Martin sponsored claret and blue on. He's celebrating a goal. It just looks like it's so. It must have been like a charity game or something, but but it wasn't. Um, Lampard in a city shirt looked weird. Yeah, that was wrong. George Ware at Chelsea. George Ware at Chelsea. Yeah, Yeah. Shevchenko. Shevchenko at Chelsea. Fernando Torres at Chelsea. (laughs) I think if if Sonny. Basically, everyone who Chelsea have signed in the last ten years. I think if you if 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 you're used to seeing someone playing in red and then they go blue yeah. or the opposite, yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah, quite yeah. a. That's my yeah. Gabriel Jesus. Adrian, sorry. Uh, I see. No, I was going to say for Laurie. I don't know if he's too young to remember Alan Smith in a Manchester United shirt, but Alan oh, Smith yeah. was so Leeds. He was just Leeds. The Leeds glory era with the sort of bleach blonde hair, and for them to see him in a Man United kit just never, never looked right. And I don't, I don't think he felt right either. No, it didn't, never quite worked out that move, did it? I mean, he did have glimpses of, of, of moments where he sort of thought this could work, particularly in midfield, when Ferguson decided to just, yeah, because he wasn't scoring goals. Okay, let's just try him in midfield. But um, yeah, I agree with you on that one. For some reason, Andy Cole in a Blackburn shirt just popped into my head. Um, I, I don't know oh, yeah. why that was another kind of yeah. incongruous one. Good shout. It took me a long while to get used to Jack Grealish in a Man City shirt last season, for example. Um, well, is that going to be the same with Calvin Phillips and, and Man City now? Mm. Is that going to be... It's kind of like, as you say, I think it's the actual colour of the shirts, isn't it? So right. white to kind of laser blue is kind of okay on our eye, you know, in terms of the palette. <laughs> <laughs> um, it sort of goes close by, but I don't know. Anyone joining Norwich would be a, a challenge. Let's talk about, though, uh, Jesus and the Gunners, uh, t- to borrow a slogan from the NRA, uh, and the, the trip to Selhurst Park, because 
Adrian, you said right at the start how badly Arsenal fared and how how important it's going to be for Mikel to get his players ready for a, uh, a ground that's not been hospitable for them. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Vieira in both the games last season pressed Arsenal relentlessly. It was it was vicious, really, the way they got about them, and it and it unsettled Arsenal, and they didn't get any rhythm, and they were bullied and overpowered, and they were two incredibly tough matches. They scraped a lucky draw at Emirates, battered three nil at Selhurst. So that's you know, I think they'll be ready. They'll be more ready mm. for that this time around. Of course, this they've is not a got better Gallagher. Yeah, this is a better Arsenal side. Oh, honestly, I've watched every minute of pre-season and it couldn't have gone better. They've looked really fit, really sharp, cohesive. They've kept the same team, the same starting eleven for the last two friendlies. I mean, I don't remember anyone ever keeping a settled starting eleven in pre-season. It's, it's, it's strange, really, but that is how sort of equipped they are for the, for the first match. The, the, the line-up is, is sorted. And, um, and Gabriel Jesus, I would grade 10 out of 10 for his pre-season. He has been utterly electric. Not just scoring seven goals in five games, but his all-round play has been astonishingly good with his hold-up play, the turns, the dribbles, the creating for other players. He has increased the speed of Arsenal's attacks by three times, I would suggest, compared to somebody like Lacazette. Everything's happened a little bit quicker. So I just hope that he hasn't peaked too soon. He couldn't be in better shape coming into the season, but of course, it only really matters now, doesn't it? And what what his form's like from here on in. But mm. he looks great. He looks like he wants to be the main man. He looks like a different player, and uh, yeah, he looks ready to to step up and be a twenty goal a season striker. And 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 that's pretty exciting for Arsenal fans who have already fallen in love with him. Really, they have. It's um, yeah, it's it's good to see. Nice. Wilfred Zaha has also been scoring goals in pre-season for what that's worth. Five in three uh, friendly fixtures. What have you seen from Zinchenko so far? Um, fleeting glimpses. I mean, he's very neat and tidy, isn't he? he passes beautifully. There's been a few crossfield passes to Saka where you've just gone, ah, oh, you know, sort of stop it. Um, <laughs> but, but I don't think we'll see the best of Zinchenko straight away. I think... He's going to start the season at left back, and he's he's a perfectly serviceable left back. Tierney's been injured, so he'll start there. But what I'm excited to see is Tierney return and Zinchenko move into the left side of midfield, mm. um, where I think that he will, he could be a revelation for the team. He'll add real balance there, and the interchanging with Tierney, um, the movement, the underlaps, the overlaps, I think is is quite an exciting prospect. So, yeah, he's. Um, technically an outstanding footballer and, and he's very Arsenal in terms of the sort of players that, that, that have thrived down the years there. Hi, I'm James Richardson with a quick word on the audio treats The Athletic have in store this season. Three times a week you get the award-winning Totally Football Show with the likes of James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Carl Anker and Rory Smith and me. Uh, Mark Chapman hosts The Athletic Football Podcast a flashy four times a week with David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many others. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast will have all the women's Super League coverage off the back of their brilliant Euros. And the offside rule is back too with weekly episodes. 
That's not all. There are eight dedicated club shows. There's Adam Hurry's joyous football cliché show, Michael Cox's insightful athletic football tactics podcast, the offbeat TIFO football podcast, and a revamped football manager show too. You can get all of these shows wherever you find your podcasts or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Laurie, let's talk about Man United then. Come on. Yeah, let's do it. Two o'clock Sunday afternoon, they're going to be facing Brighton. Brighton, who blew United away only a few months ago, 4-0. Crikey. But those were different times, a different United manager. Eric Ten Hag, this is his first Premier League game in charge. Uh, where do you want to begin with this one? Is, is it a Ronaldo thing? With his him departing the Rayo Vallecano friendly at half time, and people thought, well, maybe that's all right. The club has said yes, you can, but no. Eric Ten Hag has publicly come out and, and pointed the finger at the Portuguese star. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that is the the big story, isn't it? From the whole summer, you know, the fact that just before preseason was supposed to. Uh, begin for him. Um, he didn't show up. You know, we talked about the personal issues that Eric Ten Hag um, keeps mentioning, and you've got to respect that. But equally, you know, the wider context is he's, he wants to leave the club. So for him to leave the match before it had finished, having played in the game, there were other players that left before full time. And I think Ten Hag made a point of actually criticising them as well in this mm. interview with the Dutch broadcaster. Um, but nevertheless, you kind of think, having played in the game, there's kind of more imperative on you to sort of stay in here the kind of post-match debrief or just show your commitment in that way you know he did post for pictures with fans that was probably part of the strategy I guess to, to make sure you are seen leaving the ground early whilst also uh, you know letting yourself be giving the fans Wait, what Ronaldo they want Ronaldo posted pictures himself no no he just he, no he posted for pictures with fans oh, I, see, but, right. I mean I guess he knows that they're going to go viral straight away can, so it's can I just brought in quickly on this mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. Eric Ten Hag is a, is a disciplinarian I think that much is he's a renowned disciplinarian right and the main thrust of his work in pre-season is to sort of knock the players into shape isn't this a terrible reflection of his abilities as a disciplinarian that not just one player but several feel that it's okay to leave a match at half time I don't like it's almost like they're challenging him to say what are you going to do about it just a a brief thing Adrian how rare is it for it to be okay to leave a match at half time, even a I would say it's re- I would say it's rare. I might have done it myself <laughs> when I was playing non-league football, like a non-league friendly where no one cares, and I've done but my forty-five. A, but and in I've, a professional context, yeah, I can't really get my head around, especially Manchester United. I can't get my Manchester head around United football club. How, how <laughs> yeah, how how anybody would would feel? Well, that's okay. No one's going to mind if I leave at half time. It's it's what's the rush? You're there to work. It's a, it's a, it's a work day. Mm. Unless you've been permission to clock off early, you stay, don't you? And I just think it's a, it, it's all, it feels to me from the outside looking in that Ronaldo's certainly being deliberately antagonistic, but others are maybe also challenging the, yeah, the, the disciplinarian style of, of Ten Hag saying, okay, you know, how far are you going to go? I mean, it's a thrilling subplot, isn't it? And you go back to last season and, and, and there were complaints that, that there wasn't enough genuine hatred in, in the rivalry between Liverpool and Manchester City. The, the Premier League thrives on rivalries. So to have the manager of Manchester United already <laughs> at loggerheads with the most famous player in the entire division before a ball's even been kicked. I mean, maybe the Premier League's getting its aggro back. 
I think a little bit of context, I suppose, on the other players leaving age. I don't know what you think about this, but they were obviously in the stands, so they weren't part of the game. And, and I've seen people leave matches, you know, 10 minutes before the end, scouts and, and directors, if they're scouting a match, they kind of, you know, they've, they've watched enough, they can they can go and whatever, beat the traffic, I think was sort of one of the lines that was being suggested um, over the weekend. And, and and did Ronaldo leaving sort of give them a bit of a green light to go, okay, well, if he's off, we, we can go. And, and that's kind of the snowball effect that Tenar clearly wants to stamp out. And he hadn't actually, he probably hadn't said before the game, don't leave early. He probably didn't think he needed to, you know. Um, so in a Maybe way... Maybe there's a car share. Maybe there's a car share well, there we go. going on. I need a lift home. <laughs> well, I mean, it was interesting to see Cristiano Ronaldo driving in George Mendes, wasn't it, to Carrington when he first reported back. I kind of thought that was a, an interesting dynamic. But um, clearly it's going to be something that Ten Hag's got to deal with throughout the season. I mean, Ronaldo did his Premier League uh, media day the other day fully. So, you know, that I don't know, is that a, a sign that he's, he's staying? Um, it, it certainly was notable, apparently, for people um, at the club. But yeah, it's something that Ten Hag, as you say, Adrian, he's come in with a disciplinarian attitude and we saw that on pre-season tour where he was very strict with the players even in training he was stepping in when they weren't doing things that he wanted to barking at them you know swearing at them um you know and now you've got Ronaldo into the mix who clearly will push buttons if he doesn't you know he's his own man isn't he he's mm. he's you know he's got an ego um that's massive and he won't just sort of kowtow to to anybody he's got to earn his respect and it's going to be an interesting sort of you know, struggle, I suppose, to, to watch as the season goes on. Well, yeah, it's an interesting question to resolve, not just in the dressing room, but also tactically on the pitch, given the way that United enjoyed uh, some uh, noteworthy successes without him in pre-season. We, we did a big season preview on, on Tuesday, in which James Horncastle said that he thought, despite all of this, United would be back in the top four. Laurie, your verdict? I love James's enthusiasm uh, and, and hope. <sighs> It's, I, I, what gives me hope is, is Eric Ten Hag and how impressed I've been with him and how clearly he is a manager and a coach different to Solskjaer and Ranić. He will be on the training pitches, directing people. He's got a very clear idea of what he wants and in his mind how he can get it. Um, so that gives me faith because you look at the lineup that's going to be playing against Brighton, there's, there's probably not going to be a new signing in it. You know, Lisandro Martinez still working his way in, Christian Eriksen sort of likewise, um, Tyrell Malassia, we think Luke Shaw probably has got the nod on him. But that's the only one that maybe you could give a toss up to. So it's going to be the same team basically as as what, you know, finished sixth last season in such desperate fashion. Now, clearly, Ten Hag's a, a better manager than Ralph Ranić but um, you know it still adds a, a really big question mark over it all and then you look at the other teams and I mean Adrian's waxing lyrical about Arsenal um, which is nice you know they've got a couple of Man City players coming that way after all those Arsenal players that were going Man City's way uh, over the years um, <laughs> uh, but I mean Chelsea look a little bit ropey perhaps but Liverpool and City just look as strong as ever and Tottenham you know with Antonio Conte that I I, I Right now, I struggle to see how United make the top four personally because I think it's going to be a season where Ten Hag tries to instill these ideas and and gets that discipline that we're talking about, but it might be a bumpy ride. Mm. Brighton, meanwhile, on their eternal quest to resolve the goal-scoring issues, have signed uh, German striker Dennis Undav out of uh, European revelations last season. Union Saint-Gilois talks about them on the uh, Euro Totally Football show. Tony Bloom's... Belgian outfit then you recall they dominated the uh, Jupiter Pro League but missed out because of the strange kind of postseason playoff the, anyway um, oh, speaking of Union Saint-Gilois uh, they're currently 2-0 up against Rangers in the third qualifying round for the Champions League group stages one of those goals a hugely controversial 
and let's be frank, pretty wrong-headed penalty that was awarded to the, the Belgians, the second one, uh, for a handball given against Conor Goldson. If you're a Rangers fan, you'll know what I'm talking about. The ball basically ricochets off one of uh, Goldson's own teammates onto him, which means by the letter of FIFA's own laws, it should not be a handball. But there you go, it was given. Anyway, uh, second legs to come next week. Uh, Brighton, though, Tom. Yeah, I mean, Dennis Undav, the latest man who's going to be charged with the responsibility of helping to turn some of Brighton's territorial and possession dominance in, into goals, which is proven beyond a, Will he a succession of strikers. Well, <laughs> that, is, that is very much the question. But I think Brighton are potentially particularly thorny opponents for, for Manchester United in this stage, uh, this early stage in the, the Eric Ten Hag era, in that... You know, Eric Ten Hag is, is clearly a man with very clear ideas about the sort of football he wants to see. And we saw glimpses of that in pre-season. I mean, you know, some of the goals United scored in pre-season were absolutely sensational. Carving teams apart, you know, passing triangles, third man runs, you know, all looking very slick. Um, but, you know, Brighton are much more advanced in their football development than, than United in terms of having a clear structure and everyone knowing what their jobs are. And you go back to that meeting, the last meeting between the teams in May, when Brighton absolutely tore them apart. And, and we've said so many times in recent years, oh, this must be rock bottom for United. Surely they can't fall any lower. That really did feel like rock bottom. You know, you had Ronaldo with his hands on his hips uh, at, at 3-0 down and Brighton could have won even more comfortably. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how successfully United are able to dominate possession in the way that, that Ten Hag wants to. Because Brighton are a very difficult team to disrupt. They're a difficult team to get the ball off. Um, and yeah, I, I think that makes it, that gives it sort of an extra, an extra element of danger. Because it's, it's one thing to come unstuck in your opening fixture. It's another thing to come unstuck against a supposedly inferior team who actually play better football than you. And that's what happened when these two teams met in May. So I think it'll be a really useful yardstick for that kind of early Ten Hag progress to see, you know, the extent to which United are able to impose themselves. Brighton's waveform was top draw last season against the big boys. One, two, drew four, only lost two. So they're definitely awkward uh, match day one opponents. Boom. All right. Well, we'll uh, have a quick check on some of the other other games awaiting us this weekend. One or two of the other key stats as well after this. Hello, I'm Kate Borsay, co-host of the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. It's been an incredible summer. We've seen things we'll never forget, but... It doesn't have to end here. We'll be back for the start of the WSL season in September and we really hope you'll be there too. Follow or subscribe right now at the Athletic Women's Football Podcast wherever you get yours. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Listener, Barcelona. If they're too broke to pay their players, how can they keep signing new ones? Well, the Athletic have the answers to this. There's a, a, a brand new article actually about this explaining it all. And if you fancy having someone tell it to you rather than using your eyes, then there is a, a special The Athletic Football podcast out on Barcelona with Ian Irving, Adam Crafton and Paul Ballas. Hmm. Tom. I can't believe how much criticism Barcelona are getting for what they've been doing this <laughs> summer. At a time when we're all struggling to pay our bills, the world has never needed uh, you know, an example of how to to stretch no money um, as far as possible. So, mm. you know, perhaps there's something we can all learn from it. Talk to your energy company about levers. Uh, <laughs> we're all off to the Lowry in Manchester next Tuesday for a special season preview. And we'll probably review that opening weekend a bit as well. Head to thelowry.com if you want to be there when Michael Cox, Duncan Alexander and Julian Laurence take to the stage with me to talk and other things. Tom, you'll be off to France this weekend for the start of a new Canal Plus season of Premier League coverage. What are the French most agog about for this new Premier League campaign? Um, I think they're I think they're asking the same sorts of questions that, that mm. we are. You know, looking at the title race and, and how you know the new signings are, are going to affect things. You know, who's going to settle first out of out of Holland and and Nunez and, and and who can who can crash into the top four? Um, bit of interest Just all in, over in, Europe. It's the same conversations with different accents, essentially. <laughs> pretty different accents, different hats, um, and also a bit, um, bit of interest in, in Nottingham Forest being back in the Premier oh, League yeah. after their uh, after their long absence. There was a, a double page spread in in the keep the other day about uh, about Forrest being back in the big time and Brian Clough and uh, and all that so yeah great anticipation in France for, for the Premier League and you can catch it all mm-hmm. on Canal Plus starting with me on Saturday uh, I think was it Fulham Liverpool the lunchtime game yeah that's, that's where right. it all, all begins alright Forrest their first Premier League fixture this millennium We'll see them visit Newcastle. So, new look, Nottingham Forest at Newcastle. Uh, 13 signings now, I believe, and 14 could be on the way because they have jizz in their plans to uh, kind of... Pardon? Yeah, the... uh, the, And the surname's good. Jizz Horncamp. Dutch striker (laughs) Jizz Horncamp. And yes, all right. Make your jokes about clean sheets. Go on then, Laurie. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Poor chap. A, I mean, what a burden to have. I mean, it's not... Just to, just to say, we, we probably shouldn't be premature. Um, oh, God, because, there we go. Uh, here we stop go. It. Oh, hasn't, hasn't yet reached the climax. <laughs> Somebody was asking on Twitter whether English names sound as funny, or some English names sound as funny in Dutch. Would you remember when, not so much Dutch, but when Arsenal was sponsored by Sega um, mm. and it provoked some titters in Italy because yes. Sega apparently means here, James, or something? Well, I'm, asking, the I'm asking you, just to clarify, I'm asking you because you speak Italian, not because <laughs> yeah. you are a <laughs> just, or just for the might have heard that expression. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I believe it means cherished television personality. I used to get called that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 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 is, it is the vernacular for the, the verb. Yeah. But anyway... Um, Please, can they come up with a good song for him, the Forest fans? They've, 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 they've got lots to work with there, haven't they? If, they? if they don't, they want kicking out of the league. Um, I mean, I'm horny, 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 just as a start, you know. There you like, go. Let's get that ball yeah, rolling. Yeah, yeah. Poor chat. I, I feel like, I mean, I hope we've, I, I mean, I hope we've shot our bolt, as it were, regarding <laughs> those uh, 
because I think we just you know once let's let's get it out and then we can just kind of move on. I'm but I mean, it, you know, it looked you know I think we all thought that Forrest's business was done. They've signed so many players. You know, I yeah. was convinced that they'd already you know they'd already blown their wad, um, mm. and here they are potentially <laughs> splashing I'm out again. So so sorry. Should probably point out there's a fair chance that Herr Hornkamp's uh, first name is actually pronounced Yiz, though, because you know he's Dutch. Adrian, uh, it is a very n- different Nottingham Forest. Here. So you know, your experience watching them in the Championship uh, counts for nothing, I guess. What about Newcastle? <laughs> what about Newcastle? They, you know what? They, it they've been quite measured, haven't they? They have been measured. Go quickly on Forest. I don't think yeah. it will go for, count for nothing because Steve Cooper. Will, will I think play the same way? So it's just about getting better players in the positions. There'll still be a counter-attacking team. They'll still, you know, have a big man up front. Awan Yi is the guy with with Brendan Johnson. They'll still have Lingard as the sort of link man, and they'll use the flying wing back. So, so yeah, I kind of can picture what Forest will be, and I think they'll they'll be a good away team. Actually, I think that I think yeah. they'll cause a few few issues for teams. Newcastle, yeah, surprisingly measured. I like the goalkeeper choice. I think Nick Pope was the was the one you had to get out of all of the relegated sides that this summer he was the prize asset and, and Newcastle were pretty, pretty swift there because their goalkeeper was okay to Bravka not bad mm. but Nick Pope is is a definite upgrade I think I think he's class Botman it, it comes with pedigree doesn't he who, who well, knows Tom's, how he's going to fare Tom you fare, have seen but... him in action at Lille of course yeah, fantastic player. Um, you know, big, tall, physical, left-sided centre back. Um, looks sort of ready-made for, for for the Premier League, really. And, and you know, has been linked with all sorts of, of of major clubs over the last couple of seasons. Was a key figure in the the Lille team who who won the the league and title in in twenty 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 one. So yeah, a bit of a coup, I think, for Newcastle to, to to have picked him up. And I think one thing we have seen this summer is that they've been linked with a lot of big names. Newcastle. There's obviously a lot going on there in terms of. You know, in terms of inquiries being made about players, and 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 I mean, certainly, you know, in in, in the French sports media, there's been a suggestion that a, a number of players who have have had opportunities to, to go to Newcastle have have turned it down because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to move to the northeast of England, they don't want to live in Newcastle. So, which which is a sign that for all their wealth and and for all the, you know, the um the dynamism that Eddie Howe brought to their football in the second half of last season that they're not yet ready to start competing for for the very biggest names in the sport but yeah i, th- I think botman is a, is is a really good signing and yeah someone who a lot of the a lot of the big clubs were looking at mm. Matt target's loan deal meanwhile also being made permanent in terms of competing since the turn of the year actually only liverpool man city and spurs have taken more points in the league than newcastle so they may well be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, sorry, Adrian, we were halfway through your thoughts on, on Newcastle before I went to Tom on, on Sven Botman. Yeah, not, not too much more to add. I'm surprised they haven't invested in a striker yet. I'm sure mm. they will. I, I, I like Callum Wilson. I think and, and, and Wood's got something to offer. But Wilson's a good player, but but we know that he's injury prone. Uh, he, he's, he's not played a full season for quite quite some time. So until they get that front man in, It'll be hard to judge exactly where they are, but but the way that they swept Arsenal aside at St James's Park, and I know Arsenal were terrible on the night, but Newcastle were also brilliant, and I don't think that should be overlooked. And and the atmosphere there, and that that sort of good vibes that's engulfing St James's Park at the moment. I think if that continues with a bright start to the season, it's going to be one of the toughest away trips in the division because that yeah they're starting to really believe aren't they in Eddie Howe and the, and the team but I, th- I think to to 
have top six aspirations. They need two or three more good players through the door between now and the end of the window. Mm, all right. Elsewhere, Duncan Alexander pointing out that uh, this Wednesday marked the exact point that Spurs' last league title in 1961 was as close to the 19th century as it is to the present day. A Tuesday, we were toying fancifully with the notion that their next title might actually not be too far away. The pitch will have the verdict on that, of course, and it all begins for Spurs this Saturday at 3 o'clock at home to Southampton, who I mentioned are predicted to really struggle this year. Uh, other fixtures that are out there, Bournemouth up against Aston Villa. Bournemouth also predicted to struggle by literally everyone. They're the bookies' favourites to be relegated. A Villa who've now picked up Diego Carlos out of Sevilla. Is that going to be a significant signing? Yeah, I think it's very good. I mean, they, they did their business very early, Villa. They brought in Diego Carlos from Sevilla and Bubacar Camara from, from Marseille. They obviously nailed down uh, Felipe Coutinho to a, um, a permanent deal as well. Um, so they look in pretty good shape. But I'm, I'm kind of I'm intrigued to see what we're going to get from Villa because they really limped over the finish line last season. They won only two of their last 11 league games. And I think there was a sense quite quickly that, that Steven Gerrard got the team playing the way he wanted them to. You know, he's kind of... Uh, landed on this the sort of four three two one shape that that he used at, at Rangers previously, but they did they did lose momentum and and you know they they didn't um, yeah it, it wasn't like things fell into place and and you know they kind of um, you know sort of like flew flew to the finish line. It was it was a bit of a, a bumpy end to the season, mm. but I think having got you know having got their major business done so early and having had a full pre season with those players and you know away at Bournemouth. Um, is 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 quite a kind opening fixture, you know. They'll be they'll be looking to looking to hit the ground running. Interesting that they've that they've changed captaincy as well, which is something you don't get all that often. That that um, Tyrone Mings has had the armband taken. Uh, something to do to, with. To do you think McGinn. that's because Carlos has come in and that he's no longer a guaranteed starter? I think maybe that's. I mean, that's yeah, that's, that, that's probably that's probably it, isn't it? I think yeah. yeah. On 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 um, Villa very quickly. Um, Name to look out for this season if he stays. It's Cameron Archer. I know that they just sold Chuck Wameka to, to Chelsea. Cameron Archer, he's 20. He went on loan to Preston last season. He's played for the England junior teams. He is a goal scorer. Really, really sharp in and around the box. Uh, reminds me a little bit of Ian Wright back in the day. He's that sort of style of striker. And I think he's had a very good pre-season. So he could... Maybe not at the start of this season, but he could push the likes of Watkins and Ings for a starting berth. I think he's at that point now where he's ready to to maybe become an impact sub at the outset. So yeah, Cameron Archer, keep your eye on him. I, from what I've seen of him, he looks he looks a player. Crikey. Villa uh, will be at the Vitality Stadium Saturday at 3 o'clock. At the same time, Leeds at Ellen Road will be hosting Wolves in what is an early six-pointer, I'm saying. Extraordinary match last time they met. That was back in March. Leeds were 2-0 down and came back to win 3-2 against Wolverhampton Wanderers, who have issues, Everton-esque issues up front. Raul Jimenez is injured. Uh, Fabio Silva's no longer there, although Adama Traore has returned from his loan spell at Barcelona. Adrian? I don't want to talk about the game. Well, I can if you like, but um, <laughs> I went on holiday recently. Mm. Um, stayed at a nice hotel, got to say, yes. and staying there was a Premier League footballer oh, yeah. um, by the name of, of Luke Ayling. 
of, oh. of Leeds. He was he's injured at the moment, so it's quite fun to have a Premier League footballer just sort of in this in this all inclusive resort. And the standout feature I didn't didn't speak to. I didn't didn't want to go oh. over anything. Be, be one of those busybodies. Um, but the standout thing about Luke is that he's got a portrait tattoo of his wife on his back that covers half of his back. And it was incredibly lifelike. It was almost like a photograph because there she was standing next to him, (laughs) chatting in the pool with a cocktail. And he had his back to me. And all I could see were were two versions of of his wife. It was was an incredible tattoo. And it, it just struck me as, how bold is that? To get a half back tattoo of your missus. Right. That's, because the that, marriage that's love, isn't it? But, well, yeah, it's optimism as well. Plus, how's and... she going to feel waking up every day to a like, reminder of what she used to look like? And... <laughs> that's it's a good great that, point. It's good that you can detect that, though, Adrian, because usually you have to like get, so what, who's this? But you could see literally in right. front of you. You, you, could, you, could, you knew it was, it was her. It was right? very, yeah, it just looked just like her. So it was, mm. yeah, very impressive. But yeah, I think James makes a really relevant point. Oh, okay. It's going to be like looking at, looking at the old days, isn't it? As, as time in, passes. It finally and was, was 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 she telling him? Don't look now, but the former Arsenal striker Adrian Clark is just staring at your back on that Sun Lounger. Does he does he let his hair down on holiday, Luke Ayling? Mm. I'm guessing like I'm guessing he quite literally does. No, no bun up. No bun was bun, bun up. was fully in really? place. Yeah, for, Even by the pool. But it's not like the Gareth Bale situation, is it? Where you know the the, the top knot is kind of covering something. Oh, is the is that what's happening with Gareth Bale? That that was the suggestion. Tom, you you obviously that's, were there. Well, when it, it kind of fell out at the Euros a bit. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of sort of, yeah. Don't just, don't go ruffling Gareth Bale's hair. I don't if wanna, you know what's yeah. good for is you. Is that right? Yeah. I had no idea. All this time, yeah. Tom, you and I could have just been employing a top knot, <laughs> fashioned from fashioned um, from who knows where. It's 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 the modern Bobby Charlton. It's the new yeah. it's the new. Como I had no one. idea that Gareth Bale, good lord, was a fellow. Struggler. I mean, that's that's the allegation, at least. If you if you Google, you know, Gareth Bale right. bald, you, you'll you'll see. Yeah, he, he might review it. He might claim it was a bad angle or whatever. But you know, that's the the suggestion. Mm. Um, I, I was actually in a hotel with Leeds players as well, Adrian, over oh. the summer. Weirdly oh, enough, wow. Okay. They they were in our, our hotel in Perth because uh, they were they were playing in preseason. Uh, had a, had a chat with a couple of people. They were kind of happy that they'd got their deals done early. They were saying that Rafinha plays very wide and, and that doesn't quite subscribe to Jesse Marsh's kind of narrow attack. So they were kind of saying, listen, it is a big loss, but at the same time, you know, we've got good money for him and we've reinvested it. So they were they were positive. But I think the pitches out there were, were awful. I think they had a couple of injuries from the pitches and also the training facilities. So that's one thing, I suppose. At the other end of the getting their business done early spectrum are Leicester, meanwhile. Uh, just to finish off on the, of the fixture list, they're going to be at home to Brentford Sunday at two o'clock. Haven't signed anyone, the only Premier League club yet to have anybody coming in, and they have got players going out. Now, Kasper Schmeichel this week going to Nice, which is an interesting move. Laurie, you used to work the, the Midlands beat. What's going on at Leicester? How worried are you uh, uh, for the Foxes? Yeah, I hear kind of conflicting things. Um, I heard that it was a little bit um, unsettled, um, you know, in terms of uh, Brendan Rodgers coming into I think it's his third, third and a bit season. Um, you know, he's obviously done really well there, but is there a, a sense of you know, you, you want to avoid it becoming stale, don't you? And, and, and I guess new signings, you know, help with that. And Cassius Michael going is, is a major change for the last, you know, 11, 11 years, I think it was. Um, and then also the fact that, you know, Wesley Fafana, Chelsea are after him. You know, Yuri Tillemans, what, what's happening there? Newcastle mm. making a bid for James Madison. It feels like a lot of clubs are trying to, are seeing 
Leicester as an opportunity to benefit from. But at the same time, they've only lost Schmeichel so far. So then other people that are, that are close to the club say, well, you know, this is all um, getting very hist- histrionic. And actually, you know, Brendan Rodgers had a good pre-season with the club and it's all fine. And, you know, we, we, we carry on. And now that they've got Fafana back fit, he was obviously missing, wasn't he, for, for a lot of mm. last season. And they really, really rate him. Um, if he if he can, can you know, can actually stay and, and play, you kind of think they've got a much better chance. So I don't know, I'm really conflicted about Leicester because they, they were kind of up and down last season, weren't they, after those two really solid seasons where they, they failed just to make it into the Champions League at the final bit. So it, I think they'll be one to watch, certainly, in terms of the stories. I think there'll be, there'll be stuff coming out of there. Well, who's who's going to be the number one? Uh, after Schmeichel's decision. They might, they might sign someone. I mean, Danny Ward's the, the, uh, has been the deputy for a long time and they signed right. him for like 10, 10, 11 million, I think, from Liverpool, um, you know, a good number of years ago when, you know, he's, he's been playing for Wales as well so he's kind of an international he's a good goalkeeper you know he got Huddersfield promoted with that penalty shootout um, save didn't he um, so I guess he would be thinking right I've got a chance now um, but at the same time they well, might sign said, someone Brendan said if we sign someone it'll be a number three he said okay, that the two right. guys that are left are going to going to fight it out that's Danny Ward and Everson who's had a number of loan spells he, he's a decent keeper he's played in the EFL um, but I think I would imagine Ward will get the nod. But Ward, I think, has been injured for part of pre-season, so he's not nailed on to start the first game. So, yeah, it's going to be two two rookie keepers, really, of, of sorts that, that battle it out at the outset. But, yeah, I, I think being settled is, is not the worst thing in the world. But, sure, I mean, Leicester are a very ambitious club, aren't they? They're not afraid to spend money. I, I can only assume they, they're deliberately waiting until later in the window to, to make their moves, depending on on who they lose. Yeah, I think they might lose Tiedemans, but but they're probably working on a possible replacement now and maybe the same for, for the other guys. Well, there were, interesting, there were some interesting quotes from Brendan Rodgers a few days ago where he was saying that he hadn't realised that there were, if not financial difficulties than financial, financial constraints that he hadn't been aware of mm. uh, and was then subsequently made aware of. Um, so he, it seems to me that his understanding is that, that there perhaps isn't a huge amount of, of, of cash to spend. Um, I don't know if that's FFP or if it's the, the duty-free, you know, King Power uh, sort of business taking a bit of a hit after the pandemic and, you know, the fact that obviously people weren't going through airports as, as frequently. But I think I think FFP might be a, a thing that they're considering at the moment, yeah. Mm. Cool. Uh, many, but, many. but I mean, like, as, as ever, we get, you know, when you when you come to preview the new season, it's it's normal to kind of focus on transfers because they're you know the most exciting things. You know, new faces and people posing with their kits and all the rest of it. But you know, there was that that season not so long ago when Tottenham went into the season having not signed a single player and actually had a, a, a brilliant season. If if you've got a good group of players, if you've got a coach who um, you know whose ideas are in place, and, and if you've got everyone pulling in the same direction. That doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be left by the wayside uh, against all the teams who have done loads of business. So it, it need not be uh, a death knell for Leicester's ambitions, even if, as a Leicester fan, you would, you'd probably hope to see a, a, a few more faces through the door between now and um, the end of the window. We'll bring it full circle. That's obviously ninety five, ninety six. You don't win anything with kids, and how Ferguson sold, you know, three main players and, and brought in a load of youngsters. But on, on that Tottenham thing, I would just say, I, there's certain people that think that that summer that they didn't sign anyone. They might have had a good season, but then it also laid the foundation for the, the implosion the collapse, that Pochettino yeah, yeah. had. So the, the, you know, the, the refreshment needed to be continuous rather than yeah. Uh, that was that was their season, I think, to, to make a move, and, and they didn't. And okay, they might have had a good one, but then it kind of had a knock on effect later down the line. Mm. 
That's less positive for Foxes fans. Anyway, <laughs> there you go. Brentford will be their visitor Sunday at 2 o'clock. And Monday we'll be back to review all of the results from this opening round of the brand new Premier League campaign. Do join us for that, listener. For now, though, may I say many, many thanks to Laurie Whitwell for joining us today. Laurie, have you got any Man United or similar content up on The Athletic that people should look out for? Uh, yeah, well, just to continue the doom and gloom, um, oh. I've got <laughs> a piece uh, talking about welcome to managing Manchester United, Eric Ten Hag, which is ha. touching on the Ronaldo issue, the fact that they haven't signed his main target, Frankie de Jong, talks over Benjamin Zesko, the, the, the young striker at Red Bull Salzburg, a kind of difficult, um, has anything you know massively changed? It just, just the kind of, you know, the, the, and the media focus that you get at Manchester United, you know, he, he's trying to put an end to any disputes internally with, with players. Ajax, yeah, that might have been job done. He's got the authority. And Manchester United, it doesn't quite work like that. Wow. All right. Well, if you're a United fan or an ABU just wanting to rub a neck, that's where you should <laughs> head. And meanwhile, Adrian and Tom, people can enjoy your work in the brand new and exciting publication, the Totally Football Book. Yes, I've written a piece about Gareth Bale and his relationship with Wales. Um, right. And I believe you can pre-order the Totally Football book already. Um, I saw Nick Miller at the um, the Arsenal All or Nothing premiere the other night and I asked him how it had all gone and he seemed very pleased. Well, that's Thumbs good. Thumbs up all round. Excellent. Adrian, what, what's your bit on in the book? Um, it was looking at looking at the EFL season just gone, but mainly it was the the, the trend and fashion for former youth coaches to be handed the reins with, with EFL clubs and, and how they thrived. I mean, it, it's incredible the change in the last 12 to 18 months of the style of manager that we're seeing right across the 72 EFL clubs. So, yeah, hopefully it's an interesting read. Brilliant. Nice one. Well, that'll, that'll be out. When, when's the book out, Tom? Uh, I think October the 1st. October the 1st. Is the release date. Pre-order now while trees last. Good. Uh, we have come to the end of today's show so as I say many thanks to Laurie and to Tom and to Adrian and producer Charlie and you listener everybody have a great weekend enjoy the football and we'll see you Monday you've been listening to the Totally Football Show part of the Athletic Podcast Network listen ad free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.